Welcome to the AI Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Schaefer. Today on the podcast, we have the pleasure of being joined by John Benyon, who focuses on LLM ops and AI strategy. He is a machine learning engineer and data scientist um, on product anal- on the product analytics teams for a number of different areas. He's also an AI consultant. He has eight years of data science experience, and he's based in the San Francisco Bay Area. Super excited to have you on the show today. Welcome, John. Thanks. Glad to be here. So super excited, like I mentioned, to have you on. Uh, What I wanted to kick this off with was asking you a little bit about your journey. What kind of brought you here? Did you always know you'd be interested in AI and this kind of LLM ops area, machine learning, all this kind of stuff? Or is this something you kind of discovered as you went throughout, you know, college, your career and and whatnot? Yeah, actually, NLP used to not be as cool. Uh, And actually, I got into data science kind of by accident, I was in systems uh, in, in music like 15 years ago. And the questions that I was asked um, became more nuanced about strategy and logic and how do we know what we're seeing is, is, is uh, you know, really what we should do and inform strategy. Uh, so I became kind of into data science on accident, literally. Uh, and then uh, from music, I moved into Guild Group and then uh, just a lot of other companies, Disney. Uh, okay. really fun uh, roles that I've had. Um, in terms of AI, uh, I've been on a team at Fox uh, earlier this year up until recently, and uh, my team was tasked with increasing the sophistication of every other team. And so it was kind of fun to see uh, some of the like most impactful projects had to do with, with uh, AI fine-tuning. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com tech you know, already, you know, just foundation models that are publicly available. And there were a lot of constraints as well with companies, just with internal company data. Uh, so it became kind of a puzzle to figure out. And there's a lot of problems that are, are, are surfacing as a result, I think, that we've, we've, we've seen. Um, and as well, like with cool things as well, they're happening. So uh, it's been fun. Uh, I hope that answers your question. Uh, yeah. AI is all over the place now. Uh, there's a lot of hype. Uh, so I'm kind of sussing through the hype. Um, a lot of people tell you what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And I just found everything's kind of related to the use case that I have and everyone's figuring it out. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's super cool. Fascinating background. So you, you mentioned a little bit about, um, music. I would be super curious, you know, if, or how, um, you know, your early career in the music industry, if that kind of shaped your approach to data science and AI in any way. You know, uh, it kind of did um, because I think a lot of the questions people were asking around 
the office, uh, I could uh-huh. suddenly answer just by being close to data. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember my first month actually starting, I was working for Columbia Records and uh, Perry Farrell would come down the hall with a whole bunch of interns kind of in tow, like watching what he was doing and laughing at his jokes and stuff. And he was, he was, he's cool, but you know, they were kind of like, you know, it was this group, right. That was coming down the hall and he asked, you need to some, look up something on the internet. And I was there as like the data technical guy. And he asked me the question and I had to look something up and answer his question. And this was 15 years ago. Um, uh-huh. But I thought that was kind of cool. It was kind of weird too. Uh, but a lot of people, even people that had been like really talented at what they were doing in the industry with like music marketing, uh, would ask me questions about what they can do. Um, and you know, I just was starting to help out more on the data side. So that's yeah. cool. Yeah, that definitely sounds like a cool kind of impact and, and kind of getting you in there. So I'm wondering, you know, at, at that point, what what kind of motivated your transition from roles like, you know, a technical analyst and, you know, business information manager to kind of becoming uh, a data scientist? Yeah, uh, the questions um, that are more strategic and questions that would involve more data. Um, I had to learn random sampling really quick uh, and also just log- logistic and linear regression. I think that doing that in a rigorous way um, started to just kind of provide a path for uh, what other methodologies I could use to answer questions down the road um, and as well as save me time and and not, you know, write like 18 queries, you know, okay. uh, using ML and it w- would inform people of what was going on with the data. And that's just kind of what got me started down that path. And then I started working at Disney, uh, just answering questions on the, on the world's kids, basically, and what they were doing uh, in terms of what we could see, you know, we, mm-hmm. there's obviously a lot of laws and what we couldn't see, but um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun answering questions and looking at patterns. That's very, very cool. So I, I know, you know, you just mentioned Disney, but I know you've also worked yeah. at a, a number of different uh, tech giants, Google, Facebook, um, and recently at Fox. How does, you know, the AI challenges differ between these different industries? Uh, there's a, the biggest difference is between tech and non-tech. Now, granted, I'm biased because I, uh, you know... <laughs> Like I wasn't working at all of them at the same time, um, right? But, uh, but uh, tech and non-tech, I think that the difference is wide enough that it's actually really interesting, and a lot of people in tech don't really know or are just figuring out these problems as well. Uh, but uh, tech, what what I've noticed is tech will build something in house and then talk about it, and then whatever is going on in that that particular culture of that company, will talk about it in their own way. Like Google will take a long time to to look at all the diverse. Uh, viewpoints and Facebook or Meta will like kind of almost in a cliched way, probably try and move as fast as they can. Um, and then other companies, there's kind of a culture that, that arises there, but non-tech, uh, I've noticed non-tech will actually have more outsourced services than, than what I'm used to. And so, uh, as each company moves forward, there's always going to be tech debt, like ETL and old stuff that, that exists. And uh, in the non-tech space, especially what I've seen at Fox, is that you have all this tech debt that's attached to old services. Uh-huh. So uh, then what do you do? And so a lot of people, a lot of teams are built around services in some cases from what I've seen at Fox. Um, I think Disney too. I've, I've seen a lot of like non-tech companies just using a lot more services than having decisions to make. Do we take this service or this service? And uh-huh. um, really they can just build it in-house now faster, I think now, especially with AI tools. Um, so in terms of how people are tackling that, take that like service mindset, 
Um, and that's kind of where you're at is what service do we go with? And then what problems are we going to have and how are we going to detect problems? Um, and in the tech side, I think people are going to be building more in-house and probably moving faster. Uh, okay. So I, I think that's generally the, the main difference I've noticed. Um, I think at Fox, one thing that's kind of interesting, and I think a lot of people that are internal and external has kind of noticed, is that you end up with uh, generally meetings, more meetings that are more like the cable uh, news uh, personality, yeah. uh, where you're talking about opinion uh, without as much data. And I think uh -huh. everyone kind of realizes that. I'm not sure how common that is in non-tech spaces right now. I hope it's not common. But I've noticed that at Fox, and that's kind of interesting. You just kind of have to roll with that at Fox. <laughs> Uh, but I don't think that happens as much in the tech circles because you can't really be a talking news personality and then, you know, do anything that's measurable afterwards. So, uh, right, anyways. right. That's and really interesting. Not to knock on the talk. <laughs> uh, so, I'm meaning more the stereotypical, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, where you have like a, a tic-tac-toe board of faces that are talking and arguing uh -huh. and that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's really funny. Um, I, okay. and I have to ask this because I swear I just saw a tweet, uh, where someone had just like left Fox and they, they said like, allegedly or apparently like Fox is like higher security to get into their buildings than like the federal government or something like that. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that or maybe there was an exaggeration. Uh, there is actually a lot of security I've noticed in, uh, New York, uh, their New York building. Uh, it was actually, uh, there were probably like three or four levels I had to pass in order to access and get to a desk that I could use to uh, okay. put my laptop down. And so, so uh, that was interesting. Um, I didn't know if that was because of the um, environment around Fox News uh, or whatever, but it was interesting. That's funny. Yeah. Okay. Well, there we go. Sounds like, uh, sounds like there's a little bit of truth to it. Um, yeah. I'm wondering, you know, with your experience in kind of reinforcement learning and agents, where do you see these technologies making the most impact in, you know, let's say the next five years? That's a really good question. Uh, I think that it's almost hard to predict because there's no limit. It's really all in what people can imagine them to do. Uh, and then obviously the safeguards. So I think first, like capitalism is going to make like a lot of jobs automated or more impactful. Yeah. And it's going to make the human relationship, like what it can't do, uh, more valuable. So mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot there in terms of what's going to be attempted to be automated. There's probably going to be a lot of friction between agents mm -hmm. and what humans can do. And that's going to be interesting to see. I don't think anyone can forecast that. I think that with agent creation, as you get into automating tools and jobs, I think a lot of it, like I found a lot of bias that 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 comes out of um, optimizing these things. So, what do you have an agent do a tool that someone has interpreted for their team? If you can imagine a team of just say like a hundred people, it's actually kind of a large team, but just say like customer service use cases or something. Uh, then you can uh, imagine the optimization happening from the most active customer service agents or people with a stronger opinion. And then there's a lot of bias that'll happen, human bias that'll happen in optimizing these things. So as agents are created and jobs are automated and or job tasks are automated, uh, I think generally there's going to be a lot of personalization that's going to be happening mm -hmm. to optimize there without bias. That's kind of the the, the only solution really that that uh, I think can be can work. And once that happens, uh, then you have an echo chamber again. 
Right. So uh, I think that's going to be something that everyone's going to be dealing with is when these are personalized, as these are personalized, assuming that is something that everything's headed, uh, there's going to be some weird echo chambers like my model says this. Uh, I think there might be some market for uh, your model, your personalized model, working things out with another personalized model and finding that middle ground, like a negotiation uh-huh. model or something. I don't know. Right. Uh, so that's where I see um, most like interesting technologies moving. But again, like I'm one person, I'm one data point, a very small sample size. There's a lot out there. I just read something uh, this morning as well on um, the prediction, like using brainwaves um, unintrusively. So intrusively, I think we've all seen like where you can have stuff on your head and then have, um, you know, you can control a mouse with your head. Uh, it's uh-huh. really helped paraplegics and uh, yeah, a lot of other use cases that are really cool. Um, I always worry about getting hacked. <laughs> yeah, but, but that that's that said, uh, using brainwaves to start as an input for uh, LLMs, there's a lot there, and I see a lot of problems with that, security-wise, privacy-wise. I mean, there's going to be many technologies that'll be controversial, and I see that one as being a problem. Uh, but yeah. there's a lot of really fun spaces to explore, and really to answer your question, there's no limit. Okay, super cool. Yeah, and um, on that whole topic, it's kind of interesting. And okay, I have a I have a theory and a hypothesis. I'd love to hear your opinion on this. But um, you know, we've seen a number of, a number of studies come out that essentially talk about uh the ability that we've trained AI models that can read your read your brain waves, right? So you go under an MR, fMRI scanner, scans your brain while you're reading something, and then they can do the brain scans after, and they can essentially like read your mind, know what thoughts are like going in by doing this. So very fascinating. Yeah. Um, my prediction on this is that companies like Meta, with their VR headsets will build fMRI scanners into them uh, to be able to read your brainwaves off of that. And I mean, of course, like, uh, you know, using it for ad, I'm sure there'll be like a good reason for it. They'll probably use it to target ads and other things to you. Okay, off of off of my uh, off of my thesis here, how viable do you think that is? What's the likelihood? What's the possibility? I love this topic and I love using the example of Google Maps here oh. because it's going to create a lot of problems, but Google Maps, when it first came out, you can use your phone and it, you you want it to be as accurate as possible, right? And so you you want it to work really well and track exactly where you are in the world, like uh-huh. within a few meters or feet. So that said, Google Maps could have been released to a massive privacy you know, issue going, wow, this phone can track you and it's Google who you know, makes a lot of revenue in advertising. So uh-huh. you have that. Now you also have this like meta. I think people generally wouldn't trust meta with their brainwaves. Uh-huh. That's just my assumption. <laughs> yeah. So that's that said, uh, if you can, if there's some really cool use case like Google Maps for it or some uh-huh. sort of augmented technology, I'm just thinking out loud right now too, there could be some really interesting use cases that could bypass a lot of the the issues that will be obvious in terms of privacy. So we'll see. Uh, like, I mean, and- how, about, how about messaging someone like, yeah, in telepathic, it's essentially there. You have this thing on, you're in there. You don't have to go set out and type something out if you don't want. You just think it, it writes the message. You like think yes to select it and then boom. I mean, natural language processing, think of if it can read your if it can read your brainwaves. Now we're interfacing with natural language processing. Instead of having to speak or type, we just think our thoughts, which 
you know, go out or whatever to chatting with the the thing. So I don't know. It's just sound. It's it sounds crazy, but like further the convenience factor of not speaking or typing in certain situations. You're in a meeting and you're not supposed to like you. We we all know they have like uh, I think Meta's spoken about this a lot. How popular sound off on like TikTok or like reels or yeah. things, you know, are because a lot of people are kind of on their phones and like in a meeting or somewhere and they're like kind of scrolling, but they don't want the sound on. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's kind of might be the same thing with the the headset. You can send messages, you can get stuff, you can look at stuff, you can do all these commands without having to, you know, it's just all in your mind. It would make podcasts really interesting as well. Oh yeah. What would that do? Let's see. First of all, I'd be sitting in a room, a quiet room with my headset, yeah. just thinking, thinking. <laughs> it's going to be, yeah, yeah it could, my voice. it could be embarrassing. So you'd have some sort of filter there, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, there's or whole, not, there's a whole brainwave filter thing that's got to come up because yeah, of course you, you could be thinking like your podcast script or whatever, but then, you know, you have some thought that comes in that you're like, yeah, I don't want to include that. It's kind of interesting because your thought is, your thoughts are kind of like your filter between what you actually portray. Like, I'm sure like I've thought things during a podcast where I'm like, oh, we need to hurry up. We need to go do this. I have like this thing, you know, you got like all these little intrusive thoughts popping in about everything else and you got to try to filter those out. So that's a whole nother realm I didn't even think about. Or not because there's the real housewives market, right? Where you don't want to filter there, <laughs> right? For the audience. So a podcast with no filter, would be like, hey, we're talking AI, no filter, right? That, and then and we're thinking AI, no filter, and then yeah, let it go. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, uh, my God. That's crazy. A whole nother level of transparency or some privacy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Something is, is out there. Um, I don't know. You have to tackle it. That's you so get on that with the, the headsets or whatever. <laughs> anyway. Right. Well, I'm, I'm happy. Uh, I have another believer that this is a this is a possibility. We'll see what our use cases are. Something I'd love to ask you a little bit about you. You uh, you've been in San Francisco, I think the Bay Area for most of your career. I'm wondering how the tech culture there has kind of influenced your work in AI and, and data science. Yeah, that's a great question because it has to do with the uh, collaboration, I think, uh, that I found in San Francisco. San Francisco generally is going to get a bad rap from the downtown, the right. violence that we read about now, at least in 2023. It'll uh -huh. probably, probably be cleaned up at some point with like a lot of high taxes. So that's kind of my presumption just because okay. no one wants that. That okay. said, if it is cleaned up... Um, you know, that's where the headlines are. But in terms of the tech culture and AI, there's been some interesting meetups. There's been a lot of in-person ideas that are shared, especially around AI. And it's always faster in person. I think we, 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 we've we all been able to see that. I love working remotely. There's a lot of remote tasks. We're doing this podcast remotely. This is actually great. But then when it comes to figuring out problems and like whiteboarding, when you want to have a whole room of whiteboard, uh, just thoughts that are kind mm -hmm. of at least saved. There's probably going to be some AI tools that'll help that, but uh, for for the remote standpoint. But in San Francisco, a lot of it's happening fast and in person, and it's been really interesting. Uh, the collaboration aspect in San Francisco, when it comes to any kind of a, a tech problem, has been really fun because people are. It's hard for me to generalize how people are, but I think the tech culture generally, it's really tough to generalize because I'm sure that this doesn't apply to everyone, but. Uh -huh. generally more collaborative uh so you can get together have an idea have someone also think of some some antithesis and then work out some solution that the you want the more diverse groups to be talking so that you can at least capture most antitheses that you wouldn't normally capture mm -hmm. so for me it's been great um um 
I'm sure there's also great places. So I don't want to knock any other uh, tech hub. I think it's, I'm generally talking about tech hubs. San Francisco, uh, you know, there's high rent. There's a lot of issues. So I don't know. I want to balance my experience out with what other Mm -hmm. people have noticed too. Yeah, yeah. But I've enjoyed it. So that's, yeah, that's awesome. I, for one, um, I live in Arizona, but, uh, you know, I, I've flown there for it just recently. I went there t- talking to some investors and whatnot, and, uh, it was really fun for me, like sitting in a Starbucks working on, you know, my stuff and hearing people just like on the, the booth next to me, you know, pitching their AI startup to this person and talking about, you know, the, the company that they're working for and the tech thing they're doing here and there. And it's, it totally does have a really cool collaborative uh, feeling and a lot of really awesome people in this space. So that's, of course, what I love about it. And then, of course, there's, you know, broken glass on the <laughs> sidewalks from yeah, hard. Yeah. So like there, there is pros and cons to it. Uh, probably more of a recent thing. I'm sure you maybe that's more what you, your experience is, too. Um, I would be curious what your thought is. You mentioned you think it'll get cleaned up. It feels like the pendulum is kind of sw- is you know it kind of swings. Right. And I feel like it's swinging to maybe people are being a little bit more open to fixing some of those crime issues in San Francisco uh, that kind of have plagued it for the last little bit. Do you, do you foresee that happening soon or what do you think that's going to look like? Um, I could actually, this is going to sound like a cliche answer and especially in this podcast, but I think there's probably going to be some solutions that'll actually come out with uh, any kind of a, 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 someone's, some politicians question uh, to chat GPT. And it might okay. just work really well, like, cause it's, there's some political issues or some taxes that'll have to be paid. So, and there's a lot of issues. So it's so complex that it's just uh-huh. going to be someone's query and, uh, there'll be solutions for it, but there's so many different solutions for it. And none of it's really, um, a great <laughs> solution, but, um, but in terms of tech culture, um, actually there's going to be some solutions for it. Some like there'll be spaces for people will want ideas and people have to get it together in person so you know yeah yeah, yeah that's cool it, it definitely definitely a cool place uh somewhere that I, I you look at visit so something that um i would love to ask you a little bit about is you know what are some of the most exciting advancements you've seen in natural language processing since you kind of mm-hmm. started working in this this whole field yeah that is uh really difficult uh to answer as well um in terms of let's see I think translation, I think that a lot of um, language translations been possible in the past, but it's gotten a lot better with uh, NLP. I know that's kind of a, a lame answer, but I, I feel like there's a lot of context that's captured in the Transformers technology that's been actually mm-hmm. around since 2017, right? That's been proliferated mm-hmm. in, in Llama and all of the weights that leaked in March. And I think that everyone's kind of tackling problems in a certain way, but I think tra- translation from one human language to another, I think that's actually going to translate, like translation from one job role to another in the enterprise space from what I've seen. And then uh, translation in terms of like just anyone from any culture that might not understand some idea. Um, and so I think that translation, uh, I know that's really high level and not super specific. You're probably looking for like one Python package or something, which I can no. easily share. Uh, uh, there, there's a lot that I'm really excited about, but I think that that translation I'm I'm most excited about, um, but translation can be taken at a high level. So the ability to understand someone else's thought process is awesome. And I think that's, that's just happened with the advent of what OpenAI has done, uh, I don't know, Anthropic, mm-hmm. uh, 
it's going to create a lot of problems too and mistranslation. But uh, yeah, but it's it's that's that's to me the most interesting thing that's happened. Uh, it's really high level. So I hope yeah. that answers your the, what you were looking for. There. No, completely. Yeah, it is super fascinating and super exciting. Um, something else I'd kind of love to pick your brain on is, you know, when we're we're looking at all of this, how do you approach some of the ethical considerations of deploying AI models, especially you know generative AI ones in in a real world setting? Yeah, solution for that, uh, best solution right off the bat, education. Education of uh, users using it, um, teaching users how to think critically, um, think, teaching them about logical fallacies that are a result from output that's extremely optimized. Uh, from what I've seen, I created something on LangChain, um, the fallacy chain, just to at least allow developers to filter on logical fallacies. But there's a lot of issues with uh, model output that people will just believe and or not believe and she's like it might be accurate or presume that it's a hallucination or something right mm-hmm. so uh, i think education is is key uh realizing also the biases of the training data um as well so um there's a lot of education people need to have more of an open mind and not everyone will have an open mind so there's going to be a lot of misuse mm-hmm. and it'll be interesting to see where that goes um how that's controlled for and it's, there's a lot of unknowns there, but education has definitely been the uh, the main aspect to preventing anything that is a problem. I love that. I think that's uh, smart because obviously there's a lot of different problems. There's a lot of different ethical considerations. There's a lot of different things. And yeah, I think at the end of the day, uh, you hit the nail on the head with that one. The solution is just making sure people are aware, making sure people understand the limitations of the technology and, and all of that. So uh they're informed when they use it, right? Like we don't want to hold this technology back because it's not perfect, but I think, you know, um, because there's so many good use cases, but keeping people informed is a really incredible. It has been absolutely amazing, John, to have you on the podcast today. As we wrap this up, I would love to ask you a last question, which is um, to kind of, you know, given your experience in this space, what advice would you give someone that is just starting out in the field of AI and data science today? Yeah, uh, I, there's the kind of the bootcamp mentality where you'd suggest people learn Python, learn SQL, uh, learn statistics and rigor. Uh, however, I think that the, the most important thing is you could use ChatGPT for that. You could also just get that for a bootcamp, which is a lot of people seem to have been doing during the pandemic for data science and AI. But I think asking the most questions is going to get them to the right space um, and really thinking critically. And the more questions they ask, the better. Uh, if you're on another team that's not data science, if you ask as many questions as you can, they're not going to want you on that team. They're going to want to throw you into data science or AI. Okay. So, uh, so you definitely want uh, to ask as many questions as possible, uh, being kind of a Socrates. Uh, so that's 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 what I'd recommend. I love it. I love it. That's incredible advice. John, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your insights. This has been absolutely phenomenal and uh, really, really enlightening. So it's been a pleasure. Um, to the listener, uh, make sure that you uh, thank you so much for listening and make sure to rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.